Uh, last time, we ended around verse 31, and the definition of the abomination that causes desolation, something like that. And um, we're going to pick it up here on verse 32 in, the, in chapter 11 and move right into chapter 12 uh, as it happens. So I'm just going to uh, keep going here. So he will corrupt wicked men of the covenant with smooth talk. But a people who know their God will be strong and take action. So uh, some people will stand up against this kind of Old Testament antichrist type. Uh, uh, this is probably Antiochus Epiphanes in the days of the Maccabees. Those of the people who have insight will make many understand, but they will fall by the sword and to flames, captivity, and plunder for some time. However, when they stumble, they will be aided by a little help, and many will join them insincerely. There's a lot in that pair of verses, but the some of the people who are believers, that is people who have insight, will make other people understand. And that's a good thing, isn't it? Daniel will talk about that a little bit later. Um, but they will fall to four bad things. Sword, flames, captivity, plunder. So sword is death, right? Flames is terrible death. Captivity. And then what would plunder be? Yeah, take everything they own, and possibly even took the family people as slaves. So captivity is going away into, like, into exile, but plunder would be going into slavery or a harem or something like that. Um, however, when they stumble, so when they've been defeated, they'll be aided by a little help, and many will join them insincerely. This good help or bad help? Sounds like bad help, like, like asking the Romans to come and help you and then ending up with where the Romans don't go away, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, some of those who have insight will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it is still set for an appointed time. What kind of stumbling is this that you might be purified from? Well, how do we stumble every day? It's sin, right? So this refinement, purified, uh, purifying and so forth, this is repentance, right? Yeah, so there might be times where people will stumble into sin, but they will be purified and made holy. In fact, this is, their, this is verse 35. Um, I believe it's right before the coming of Christ. And who was purifying the people immediately before Christ came. John the Baptist. That's what I think is being talked about here. This is an, an obscure reference to John the Baptist. And this would be quite an Advent text to preach on someday. I'll have to stick that in the back of my mind uh, to, uh, to reach back for this one. Um, but refined, you know, refined is that idea of all of the impurities being removed, right? Purified is, um, how would you say that in a different way? Set aside for a holy purpose, a little bit like sanctified, purified, and made white, so turned from one to the other. We are brightened until the time of the end. 
But the end is still set for an appointed time. And at this point, uh, I would like to just remind all of us of something I said at the beginning of, I think, the last section, which is the division of this chapter into, uh, first of all, the first 35 verses, which we just finished, It's the time of Alexander the Great's generals like Antiochus and the abomination in the temple of Jerusalem. This is for Daniel, the immediate future, the couple hundred years coming right after Daniel's time when things would get bad for Israel. But then moving into the next verse, and I think it's the right verse to pick, verse 36 to the end of the chapter, is the time of the more distant future when the Christ and then the Antichrist would rise up as the great opponents of the Christian church, the abomination that would rise up from within the temple, not in Jerusalem, but the temple of the holy Christian church itself. So the actual antichrist opposing Christ. So I think that's what we're moving into now in verse, in verse 36. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. It's not, a, it's not an easy chapter, but I think this is our division mark. So... The king will do as he pleases. And this is where we're moving from the idea of King Antiochus Epiphanes into another idea, which is maybe the Antichrist. Okay? Um, So, yeah, lots of extra copies there coming in. We're on verse 36 in chapter 11, and welcome everybody. Um, So, the king will do as he pleases... He will exalt himself and magnify himself over every god, and he will speak amazing things against the God of gods. I may have misspelled God of gods there with the wrong capital letter, but forgive me. He will prosper until furious anger is completed because what has been determined shall be done. So this new opponent to the Christian church will exalt himself, magnify himself. And in Daniel's perspective, a religion has to have a God, right? So that's why he kind of talks about this in terms of over every God and over gods in general, when in fact Antichrist is going to do something a little bit different, putting himself over the true God, which to Daniel is virtually unthinkable, but that's what's going to happen. Um, and his, he will prosper until God's anger, angry fury is completed, which is the end of the world. Um, okay, 37 and 38. He will not favor the God of his fathers. He will also not favor the desire of women or any God because he'll exalt himself above all of them. Now this could also be translated he will also not favor the desired of women. The desired of women is an, a, a kind of an obscure name for Christ. The one desired of women. Where does that come from? Well, Song of Solomon. Uh, Song of Solomon 710. Uh, you are the one the women desire. Uh, so in the picture of the ideal marriage, All of the women truly desire the ultimate husband. And who is the ultimate husband? I mean, the ultimate husband, it would be Christ, the 
husband, the man of men, the husband of husbands. Um, and there's another reference to that in Ezekiel 8. So either this is a reference to the Messiah or, and maybe it's more likely that it's just the, simply the sensible human desire of a man for a woman. Um, that, so that he will not favor the desire of women. This antichrist rising up begins to speak out against normal sexual human desire or marriage. So the antichrist will, for example, forbid marriage among some of his people. And who has done that? No, the Pope has done that, for example. Um, and uh, so to command some of God's people that they set aside their, 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 their natural you know, instincts to get married and so forth, in order, for what reason? To merit something additional in heaven besides eternal life? That truly is an abomination that causes desolation. Because when you, take, when you put down natural, um, I'll call them marital instincts in men, um, does that mean that they go away? No, it means that they're going to come squirting out in horrible ways. Let me, uh, let me illustrate this with bread dough. Okay? When you bake bread... You let something happen to the dough first, don't you? What is that? You let it rise, right? If the dough is in such a small container that it's covered, it will actually raise the plate, right? If the, if the bowl is too small. What if you put it in a colander and secure the lid on the colander? Where will the bread dough go? through all the holes in an unnatural way. Yeah, right. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Like I used to do that with Play-Doh once upon a time, but my, my mother's colander was never the same. Um, but, uh, but you don't want to focus that natural impulse in unnatural ways because you're going to end up with True desolation, which we see in different places in scripture, abuse, child molestation, sodomy, homosexuality, and rape like we see in, in, uh, in, in Genesis in the city of Sodom and other places. And in other denominations that, um, that forbid marriage among clergy. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking about marriage and the advantages of marriage. He does it in a couple of places, but 1 Corinthians 7 is probably about the place that I'm thinking of. And Paul at one point says, I wish that everyone was unmarried as I am, or I wish that they were all as I am. But for those who need to marry, um, I remember this passage because a couple of my classmates wrote me wedding cards with this greeting. It is better to marry than to burn. Yeah, and they, so that was a very popular thing to say to a seminary student who got married. Um, and I was the first one in my class at the SEM to get married that, you know. And so, yeah, so uh, is that 715? I'm forgetting the exact reference, but it's around 1 Corinthians 7 anyway. But, that, but taking that and saying, well, if Paul says it's preferable, then we should, do, then we should all do that. 
is not at all what Paul means. Because Paul says, if you have the impulse to marry, if you can't lead a celibate life, don't try to be celibate. Doesn't that make sense? You know, um, you know, it's, in a way, it's like telling, uh, oh, you know, I, that illustration would, would limp. I'm not going to use pyromania as my illustration there. Um, but, uh, oh, I know, I know. Let's use a, let's use a God-pleasing gift. If, if, if somebody has, if, if, if somebody is a spectacular musician, okay, um, let's take a Christian who is one of the best world-renowned musicians of all time, created a whole new kind of, of, uh, of music, Ringo Starr, Okay. <laughs> Ringo Starr, the, the, the two Beatles who were not Christians are dead, the other two are still living. That Ringo Starr changed drumming forever because before Ringo, all drummers drummed like this with this hand and this with this hand. Why? Because of the strap when they were drumming in the field. You couldn't drum like this. You had to drum like this, okay? Ringo came along and like Paul McCartney, left-handed, and decided, I ain't holding my sticks like that. And besides, I'm never going to carry my drum on a strap. So he began to drum open-faced like this. And did things with the drums that nobody else had ever done. And also didn't insist on having the best solos. If the bass and the guitar were doing good things, he is renowned, a spectacular musician. What if he had been told, you know what? We think you should only play the piano. You know, so you have this tremendous gift. Now, don't ever use it. What's that going to do to a person? You know, what, um, let's, let's take it into a different field with maybe a better example. Bob Newhart. You don't know who that is, do you? Do you know who that is? He is a comedian. Very good. Everybody on the outer tables knows who that is, though. But, uh, okay. Bob... Bob Newhart, famous especially for what? Besides, besides comedy, stuttering. Do you know why? Because when Bob Newhart was in school, he, when he was little, he was left-handed, but his teacher forced him to be right-handed, which, by the way, is the number one cause of stuttering, is forcing someone not to do what, they, what they're good at causes stutters for the rest of their lives, and, and other uh, things like that, too. Um, and to tell, and because it's going to come out in other ways. And so, because the brain's going to try to do things, and that's what part of what causes stuttering. And to tell someone who needs the natural release of marriage, of, of sexuality and marriage, you can't ever do that, it's going to come out in other ways. Um, and, and so it causes all kinds of abominations, and desolation among God's people in the church, okay, in other places. All right, you're just practicing drumming now, aren't you? Yeah, I get it, I get it. Great YouTube videos about Ringo's drumming out right now. Great stuff. All right, he will honor a God of fortresses in their place. So he will start to look to human military advantages, fortresses. Um, he will honor a God whom his fathers did not know with gold, silver, precious stones, very valuable things. He'll start to 
pay big money for this new kind of worship. So we're getting into materialism and military might in the Antichrist. Within the church, this is going to happen. Um, and 39, he will deal with strong fortresses with the help of a foreign god. So joining together with non-Christians, this abomination from within the Christian church will start to set up strongholds and actual military fortresses. And to all who acknowledge him, he will give great honor and make them rulers over many people. What is more, he will parcel out land for a price. Giving away land and titles for a price is called simony. Simony. I'm going to, you pay me, I will give you a title. You pay me enough, I'll give you an ecclesiastical title. So a knight walks in and says, I want this, and he walks out a priest or a bishop or a cardinal. And he did nothing more than pay for it. And suddenly he's in charge of God's people just because he could afford it. That's, that, that's, that's simony. So the Antichrist becomes a landowner, has temporal authority, starts to think that he has not just the key to lock and unlock sins, but now he thinks he has the key that also has authority over secular lands and he becomes a two keys kind of a ruler sound familiar so um has temporal authority as well as ecclesiastical authority and um uh and then with regard to this um with regard to um paying and so forth and simony this this verse and the verse before it 38 um yeah, honor a God of fortresses, valuable things, and so forth, exalting himself really above all of them in 37. Um, there, this is used in our Lutheran confessions to talk about um, the place of ceremonies. And, and, and I use that term in, 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 in the case of, for example, liturgies. And one accusation that's come up sometimes, especially after the Reformation, in the 1600s and 1700s, there was a rise of a new kind of theological um, uh, mistake in Europe called pietism, where by your personal piety you could merit salvation. And there were some, and they were actually Lutherans in the beginning, Lang and Spener and others, who thought that by showing your faith, that was having true faith. And you have to show your faith the way I say your faith should be shown. That's pietism. Um, and there was an outcry against this by a couple of Lutherans in, in, in some areas, um, and especially um, Valentine Lesher, who put out a, daily, a weekly newspaper called The True Timothy, Timotheus Varinus, Timothy being a pastor, the true pastor, and against the idea of pietism because the pietists were beginning to scream if you don't use the full ceremony, for example, for baptism, if you don't perform an exorcism before a baptism, they were saying it's not a valid baptism. Do you remember the days of an exorcism before a baptism? 
Have any of you ever seen the movie The Godfather Part 1? There is an exorcist in, the, in the, final, the famous final scene with the big massacre of all the mobsters. Um, that's happening while the guy who ordered the massacre is becoming an actual godfather in a Roman Catholic Latin uh, uh, baptism. Okay? And while it didn't, don't go out and rent the movie just to see that, by the way. But if you haven't seen The Godfather. But, uh, but, uh, but um, uh, there is uh, in that scene, in Latin, the, um, the exorcism. The, the renoun- Do you renounce the devil in the name of this child? You know, and in place of this child. That's an exorcism. Um, and the, the pietists were saying, if you don't do that, it's not a true baptism. Well, what makes a true baptism? Water and the gospel, right? So not true. And uh, we would say in worship, um, if, if I conduct a worship service, one time I was visiting my father-in-law's church and he got up to give the benediction and realized he hadn't said the, the, the Lord's Prayer. And he said, and he said to, to, to my delight, he said, he put his hand, he said, hey, we forgot the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> and he said, Sit down, we'll say the Lord's Prayer. So he turned around, he said the Lord, and then he turned around and gave the benediction. It, it taught me a lot about how formal do I have to be in worship if I mess up. I really, and I need that because I mess up, you know, and, and so I needed that. Um, but if he hadn't said the Lord's Prayer, would it have been a valid Christian church service? Sure it would have, yeah. What if I'm doling out the bread and the wine and what happened two weeks ago to me happens which is i'm giving out the bread and i accidentally say take and drink the blood of christ huh valid lord's supper well sure it is you know just because i you know and i i mean i switched around and i I, you know I, i apologized and everything and and so forth um but we've said the whole words before you know we give out we could say nothing during the distribution We've already consecrated the bread and the wine. You know, the gospel's already there, but we just say it again and so forth. But the pietists were saying differently. And so they, the, the Lutheran confessions, it's in the Apology to the Augsburg Confession. Um, it says, it uses these verses to point out that, you know, you don't have to, uh, for example, exalt yourself above God's word. You can allow the word to work and humble yourself. So, Okay. We already do 39, yeah. So, okay, in just a couple of minutes then. And at that time of the end, the king of the south will wage war against him, that is against the Antichrist, and the king of the north will storm out against him with chariots, horsemen, and many ships. He will encounter countries like a flood, or he will enter countries like a flood and overflow them. So again, borrowing from the language of the earlier part of the, of the chapter, king of the north and king of the south come back this time to wage war against the Antichrist. So might Egypt and, say, Syria or Turkey attack Antichrist? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um, he will enter the beautiful land. Beautiful land is always Israel. <clears throat> Many will stumble, which means fall, either into sin or into death. However, these nations will be delivered from his power, Edom, Moab, and the best of the Ammonites. What do those three countries have in common? They're relatives of the Jews. The Jews were told not to wipe those countries out. Do not touch 
the Ammonites, the Moabites, or the Edomites, your brothers. Because Edom was Esau, Jacob's brother. Moab and Ammon were the descendants of Lot, Abraham's nephew. And so the Jews were told not to, yes, wipe out the Hittites and the and the Amorites and and the um, uh, and the um, what the Girgashites and the Chivites and but leave these and the Philistines but leave these alone. Um, so and he's saying Edom, Moab, and I like how he puts it: the best of the Ammonites. You know, like well, some you know, okay. Um, he will seek to harm countries, and the land of Egypt will not be one that escapes. So. And if we're talking about the future, today, what is Egypt in the world? What religion primarily? There are Christians in Egypt, but not mostly, what is it? It's mostly Muslim. But which kind of Islam is Egypt today? Do you know? There are two big kinds of of Islam. You've got the Shiites which are far more strict and violent. And you've got the Sunni, and Egypt is one of those, that are, from an Islamic standpoint, far more liberal and therefore more peace-loving. In general, a country that is generally liberal will be more peace-loving. Um, and by the way, the way you remember the difference is the Sunni are, have a more sunny disposition. That's how you might remember that. Um, and the, the Sunni, but uh, together, the Shiites and the Sunni hate each other's chromosomes. So a lot of infighting there, but in general. Um, uh, so Egypt will not escape. He, that is the Antichrist still, will rule over the treasures of gold and silver and over all the very valuable things of Egypt. Libyans and Cushites will be within his grasp, so... He'll get, by the way, Egypt, what does Egypt have that's of value today? Mainly two things. Egypt, like the rest of the Middle East, has what? Oil. Oil. And then Egypt has what else? Pyramids. Tourism. Based on archaeology. Yeah, yeah. That, they, that, they're really known for that. And one good canal. Um, but... Uh, in the future, Egypt might have. Will Egypt become the next Silicon Valley? They got sand, you know, or 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 what else? You know, will happen. I don't know what will happen in Egypt. This is a prophecy. I don't know what what's coming, but Egypt, um, the, the Antichrist will take over the cool Egyptian things. By the way, um, some great Egyptian things uh, were robbed from Egypt. They're not there anymore. Who has a lot of Egypt's great tourist treasures? All the movable treasures. England has a lot of it. England. Why? Because in 1803, Napoleon Bonaparte won the Battle of Abukir in Egypt and ripped off a whole bunch, discovered the Rosetta Stone and took a whole bunch of stuff back to France. But then Britain beat them and plundered the French uh, 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 treasure stores. There were no, uh, there were no museums yet. Um, and a lot of it went over to England then. So, so Britain has a lot of it now. But all right. However, reports from the east and the north will terrify him. He will go out in great anger to destroy, completely wipe out many military power, leading to new wars. 
And he will pitch his royal tents between the seas toward the beautiful holy mountain. You know, um, between what? The Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea? Toward, the, toward Mount Zion? Or he will come to his end. There will be no one to help him. Antichrist will come to an end in sight of Jerusalem. Is this a description of Judgment Day itself or a slightly earlier moment? I want to hold back my judgment on that until the end of the next chapter because we have a hint about it there. Um, but, uh, but that brings us to the end of, uh, of chapter 11. I do want to say something about these kind of prophecies, though. So um, between these two mountains, you see a lot of trees, pine trees in the foreground, some of those are 30 feet tall, some are 50 and 80 feet tall. They are quite a bit in the foreground of the, even, the, over, even the first mountain. There, there are miles, not just one mile, but many miles in between those two mountains. Um, and this is the way the mountains looked when I was in Washington State as a missionary. You would drive to a mountain and you would think there's another one right behind it. Then you would get between them and you'd realize, oh, it's 40 miles between these two mountains. <laughs> And sometimes prophecies can, can, be, can be given, the same, the same uh, language in the same sentence can be about one event that's here and one event that's here in the future. And you get between them and you realize there's a lot of space in between. And from our perspective, what's in between the first mountain in Daniel and the second mountain in Daniel, it's the entire New Testament. So in between the time of the Maccabees and the end of the Antichrist is a lot of time. Um, but it's, it's, it's that perspective between the mountains. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.